and welcome to the Real Tech, Real Life podcast. A conversational medley with four women who've been there, done that, and lived to tell about it. Welcome to episode number 12 of the Real Tech, Real Life podcast. I am here with Lori Asbury, Andrew Giametti, and Miriam Naruzzi. And before we get started this episode, just want to thank everybody for welcoming us back after our break. Uh, we had a lot of a lot of good good feedback and also a lot of downloads, which is is great. We've been gone for a while, so it's nice that you still remember us. If you are listening, don't forget to check out our website, realtechreallife.com. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Um, I think we're going to set up a LinkedIn page so you can like us there too. And uh, we are also excited to announce that we are live on Spotify and on Stitcher. I actually use Stitcher, so that's the reason we're on Stitcher. But Spotify, I didn't realize this until recently, is starting to take about 20% of the podcast traffic. So you can listen listen to us there. So for today, we have a little bit of a loaded topic. I want to talk about women in leadership, technology, and in general diversity, but we're women, so I think our particular lens on this is going to be from the uh, the, the female side of things. Uh, and I'm this has been a topic that's been in the news a lot in the last couple of years, and I'm just really would love to sort of start off with how much of a problem do we really think it was to begin with, and where do you think we are on kind of the continuum of progress at this point? Miriam, I'll start with you. What do you how about, how's that for a loaded loaded entry for you? <laughs> oh, wow. It, it is pretty loaded. I'm trying to figure out exactly where to start. But, you know, let's just kind of take the two parts uh, of the question. Was it a problem? As I look back and as I think about this topic and this issue, I want to say, yes, it was a problem. And it is, it, it is still a problem. And the simplest way that I can put it is the fact that Women in leadership, especially in tech, are highly underrepresented. I don't know if either one of you guys will disagree, but maybe a few years ago, I wasn't as aware of it as I am today. And so seeing progress has been made is the awareness. The awareness is so heightened that there isn't a time that you don't notice the settings that you're in, the calls that you're in, the conference rooms that you're sitting or the pictures that you see on LinkedIn or the news that you look at, that is a constant reminder that this was an issue, has been an issue, continues to be an issue. However, the awareness is at its highest that it's ever been, which like any other change or any other thing, I feel it's a first step to recovery, the first step to start doing the right things to hopefully right this ship. And I guess following on that, do you think it was an issue because women didn't didn't want to be there because i do think there is a, a you know you see the the numbers around women getting to a certain point and deciding they they don't want to do it anymore um, so i it, it was it sort of the i guess the bureaucracy that was was causing the problem or is it that there just wasn't the desire to really to to kind of push into those ranks in a in a broad level i know certainly individually there was but just curious yeah. Well, I think that's a great question and one that you see a lot of debates on. And I feel that really it it comes down to two things. The problem is twofold. First part of the problem is that we've got a pipeline issue. Hmm. And I want to talk about that uh, because ultimately that pipeline is what's leading into uh, 
growth of women in these companies to ultimately be in a position to play these leadership roles. So I'd say that the problem of pipeline versus the retention part of what happens when women actually make it uh, in, you know, in technology and get to be seasoned and senior enough to be in these leadership roles. And so uh, I say all the problems related to where we are and the barriers that you're seeing are attributed to these two parts. I feel a lot of good progress is being made with respect to the pipeline. I see a lot of energy being put in to encouraging girls, uh, whether you know in grade school, middle school, high schools, um, encouraging women to get past those uh, mindsets. I'm not good in math. I don't like computers, I don't want to, you know, uh, I'm not good at it, I can't be, all of those things I see change. And I think mm-hmm. a lot that more work is being done to address the pipeline issue. I don't think enough is being done with respect to retention. Uh, and I think all of us represent those who have survived it, who have not left the field, who have decided that, hey, you know what, against all odds, we are here to stay. Uh, but as I say this, I can also name a lot of my female friends through the years, through 20 some years, who no longer hmm. do what we started to do 20 years ago together. And I, I'd say that it's not an easy journey, uh, but I feel that as as a general, as is from where I'm sitting and looking at a problem, I don't think there's enough being done to address the retention issue. Why is it that women are leaving uh, the field? Why is it that they cannot overcome those obstacles, those barriers that they feel like they're stuck. They're not being supported. They're not seeing the upward trajectory. They feel that they're on the outside. So uh, that's really how I look at the two sides of the problem. Yeah. I, I mean, in general, uh, you know, I think a lot of people feel disenfranchised right now. Uh, Lori, I know you, uh, you look like you want to get in here. So I'm curious, you know, kind of what, what do you think about right. what are the barriers today? Yeah. Well, I mean, I love the way that, that, Miriam um, framed the, the the conversation and where we are today, and that, and you know I think that the awareness and the conversations that we're having today are super encouraging, um, and I think it's leading to this positive trend. Um, and it's only in hindsight that we can see what it really was like in the beginning, you know. And I think. One of the things that I think about in my own situation was I started out right out of school supporting the military. And at the time, it was very dominated by male leadership. And then I moved into technology, again, very dominated by male leadership. And I didn't even want to talk about gender because I felt like that was using it as an excuse, right? So um, it, it was interesting kind of looking back at some of the things that I just accepted and, you know, just figured, hey, this is the way the game is played. And so it was really not until probably the last 10 years where I started becoming much more comfortable with addressing it. And I, I think that, you know, some of those barriers do still exist today, even though we are um, moving in a positive direction. It's funny you say that. I have a little bit of a weird almost like a reverse experience in that uh, my first job uh, really in in my career and in, in certainly in technology was with a company that had a lot of male, a lot of female leaders, hmm. um, which was pretty rare. I mean, I'm old, so that was uh, you know, pretty uh, rare at the time. I worked for Lotus uh, Development and, and the, per- the, the woman that, you know, ran 
the product. They called her Saint June. She was June Rokoff. She was she was amazing. Uh, the, there was a woman that ran, you know, sales, Deb Bessemer, and others. And so I I kind of entered the workforce thinking that was the norm, and it wasn't huh. until I went into other organizations and realized um, that that there weren't as many women in leadership in a lot of companies. And, and it certainly is, you know, gotten a lot better. But uh, uh, it, it is definitely a different perspective. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of the difference. And if you look at your trajectory, Lori, over your career, even compared to my own, you know, you've sought out a lot more leadership positions and all of that, where I've been a lot slower at it. And, you know, a lot of it's probably personality and varying things. But I had similar to Lori's, you know, being in tech since I came out of college, even in college in a tech major, you know, there was, I could, I think there were three women or something in my, you know, classes, uh, in my major that I remember graduating with and then going into tech. Also, I took a short term through the military and then in banking and things that were primarily male dominated. I can't even think about a female manager I had probably until you, Lori, which was in the last decade, right? So I think there's a combination of, you know, and similar probably to Lori Asbury, getting older and just being more secure um, in business, but also not seeing female leaders throughout the career. Um, and I think that makes a huge difference. You just don't, you don't see people that look like you, people gravitate toward likes, right? You don't think that that's the position that I fit into or that I should be striving to. And in fact, I've had an interesting in my current, um, position, I actually took over for a young guy, really smart, really build great teams and all of these kinds of things. And when I took over the team, all of the leaders underneath him were men as well. And I kind of made a comment about that. And he, stopped for a second. And he actually came back to me kind of a week or two later. And he goes, you know what? He goes, I didn't even, it's just not something he had thought about and had realized until somebody pointed it out to him. And I've kind of watched him over the last year and a half. And he's really kind of made an effort now, you know, to build up and put women in positions and things like this. And, and again, I think it just guides to that perspective when you don't see it, you don't really strive for it. And you kind of end up in a position where, um, you know, you gravitate towards people who are like you. By the way, I think that's that's a really important point as well. Again, we're talking about women in leadership, but I do think that in general, different voices make a difference to a business. And I think it is uh, leadership's responsibility to bring out those voices. Um, the people that are often the least likely to say something in a meeting or say something, um, you know, in general are, are folks that are quote different. And um, I think that that's a, you know, one of the big barriers is, is bringing, bringing the voice out. I do wonder though, with all the attention on, on this topic, do you think that there's a, a sense of entitlement that is in, maybe prevalent with some young women today that don't really understand, you know, that uh, uh, either what it's taken to get to that point or that they just think they deserve it because they're women. How's that for a controversial topic? I was going to say, yeah, that's a tough (laughs) one. Um, You know, I'm going to say, and this is probably just sounding generational. I mean, there certainly feels to be a more of a sense of entitlement in general across the board um, today. Um, you know, whether it's based on male, female, whether it's just as we are, everybody <laughs> always calls the, ge- the generations coming up behind them problems for whatever reason. But um, I do think, but I also think that my mother's generation kind of said the same about us, you know, the 60s where they were really fighting for women's rights. You know, when my mom loves, when she, she got married in the late 60s, early 70s, um, where you couldn't have a credit card in your own name and yeah. kind of as a woman and all of these kinds of things. So I think 
she believes our generation didn't see kind of the fight that they really went through just for women to have any kind of level of equality. So I think it might be similar for us to be kind of looking at the next generation of women. You know, is it entitlement or is it just the fact that they don't clearly understand that women have been taking a backseat all these years um, and we're still fighting to not be there? Um, they just, hey, you know, why can't I do it kind of a thing? I don't know. It's an interesting yeah. question. I actually, I mean, I think it's, I want to say, I think there's a little bit of that for sure. But sometimes I catch myself questioning my own unconscious bias on things mm -hmm. that I see. Sometimes, uh, I mean, we I kind of talked about a bit earlier on the whole pipeline issue, right? Um, my company is actively hiring for every 10 resumes that I get. At best, I may have two females uh, in that set. And uh, as I go through the hiring process, sometimes I see that sense of entitlement from the women a little bit. There's a part of me that has to question my own, I want to call it unconscious bias, because in some ways I do feel maybe it's a little bit aggressive in the way they're approaching uh, the whole you know, negotiation but then there's a part of me that's saying that that's what exactly we need. And it, it is, in a, in a way, I'm trying to not be a, be critical of things that I would have perhaps approached it differently. Perhaps, to, you know, what Andrea was saying is a bit of a generational thing, but also seeing the confidence and that sense of entitlement in a way is, you know, is, is, is leveling the conversation. So as, um, as much as it's not the way I would approach it, I'm also questioning my own biases to say, you go, girl, go <laughs> for it. And, you know, I try not to hold that against, uh, you know, against them as it comes to it. So that change is happening. And I feel as females, we need to also change our mindsets a little bit uh, just because we didn't and our generation didn't approach things a certain way the same way yeah. Uh, yeah we need to we need to be supportive of each other supportive of the new generation who may or may not even know <laughs> what they needed to know to see what barriers even exist so hey sometimes ignorance is bliss so let them have at it let them uh kind of take the advantage of their femaldom and drive it as far as femaldom if that's a word it is <laughs> so, now <laughs> it is now. <laughs> exactly. Hashtag female them. Why just, do you think it matters though? I mean, obviously if, if people are being discriminated against in any way, shape or form, that's, that's a problem for sure. Mm -hmm. But do you really think that businesses benefit from a more diverse workforce? Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, I, I think that's the part that has become very apparent uh, in the past few years. A lot of times, and I'm going to ask you guys to think about those rooms that you sit in and those meetings that you have, whether it's with your customers, your teams, your organizations, there's very little diversity in in the, the groups that are in these rooms. What you're missing is just the different ways that different people process information and uh Female, I mean, no matter how you look at it, females look at things differently. They solve problems differently. They come, uh, they look at things in a different way. Without that, you have uh, homogeneous rooms uh, that tend to not challenge each other. They, they tend to look at problems in a very uh, similar fashion. And um, I think uh, ultimately, we live in a world that is 
it's got a lot more diversity in it. Why is it that decisions are being made in rooms where people who are making those decisions tend to be more alike and they don't represent the real world? So I do think that difference in uh, approaches and thought process, the creativity that comes when you have diverse teams uh, is what the tech world is missing out when they don't have the right representations in these closed rooms where decisions are being made respect to the world. And I do think too, uh, you know, Andrea's point earlier around um, seeing people that look like you, I think when you have an organization that does reflect the diversity in the world, then you have happier, healthier organizations, right? You have people who feel valued and feel heard. And I think the loyalty is that much stronger in those environments. Here's another loaded question. Might as well. You guys have all been in situations where there there are other women leaders. Uh, I went through a long period of time where I was almost always the only woman in the room for for a long, long time. One of the things that I noticed uh, as I was on a, a leadership team that that did have other women is that I like had this um, kind of eureka moment one day. Where I realized we were all a lot harder on each other in our meetings than we were on the other on the guys in the room, and. I, I don't know, maybe it was just that it was a competitive group, but I'm curious if you guys have seen that as well. I I think we do see that. And it's an, I, I've actually consciously started to step back and, and, and try to ask myself why at times, like sometimes you do see, you know, another female and you start to criticize them for either varying things in business or even a lot of the things that society tend to criticize women for, which is just awful that men don't get criticized for. Like, you know, why is she wearing that blouse today? Kind of a thing. Um, and I, I don't know why it is maybe that there's so few opportunities for women. You almost feel like you have to be the one still standing at the end or something, but um, it's something I, I've noticed and I, I've even seen in my own thought process and really stepping back to ask kind of why that is, because really we do, you know, men have been holding each other up for years. You know, we talk about the boys clubs, we talk about all these things, um, you know, and women need to do the same. And there's also that weird twist, and you've seen it a lot um, in women in business and in politics and things where women get labeled these, you know, these for doing the same thing men are doing for doing, you know, they're getting labeled with nasty terms and and varying things for being more aggressive and and all of these things and i think even us as women don't sometimes recognize that as just simply you know sharing their ideas or going after things we're expected to be more you know demure and and respectful and all of these kinds of things um and i think we take the same reaction sometimes to a woman who's just a strong leader um, I don't know. It's an interesting question, but it is definitely something I think I've seen and, and trying to consciously uh, not do. Maybe because as females, we have a different way of uh, feeling another female in the same position. We are able to uh, perhaps uh, take apart the approach we tend to be more critical for sure, because I guess as from one female to another, we understand each other. We, we understand our own DNA and our thought process, the empathy, all that goes into it, which makes you be able, like oftentimes, sometimes if you ask me, what is it? What is a man in a room thinking? I can't say it, but I can look at a body language of a female. And I feel I have a, I have the ability to, break them apart more than I could a male counterpart. Yeah. There's an intuition or uh, an empathy mm -hmm. there. um, That's yeah, exactly. Exactly. You guys have all succeeded. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what to what do you attribute <laughs> so far? I mean, we'll see. Depends on the day. The day's early. Yeah, the, the day is early. Um, but you know, I'm curious yeah. what what helped. What do you feel like uh, helped you guys along the way? So this is a fascinating topic for me, and and one I think it's interesting to look back on. You know, one of the first things that challenged me to look at gender differently and looking at how my being a female impacted my career was Sheryl Sandberg's TED Talk. And I think that preceded her Lean In book. And I know there's been a ton of controversy around that. But at that time, there were a few nuggets that really were eye-opening. And one of them was around this question. She tells the story about the difference between how men and women talk about how they've succeeded. And men will just simply say, well, because I'm awesome. And they'll list their accomplishments and it's all, you know, this is what I did and this is how I, you know, overcame. And a woman will tend to say, well, I've been lucky. You know, people helped me in my career. And those things may very well be true, but they're less likely to say I'm awesome. So, Lori, to your question, it's because we're all awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's really funny that. Yeah, you say, because literally that's kind of what I think. I'm like, well, I, you know, I attached myself to some other strong leaders mm. who would kind of help me pull me through and all that. I would never start with, well, you guys know me. <laughs> I would never start with that, that I'm awesome. Um, but I also think it, kind of going back to kind of the generational thing, I think there's that that point of in your 20s and 30s, especially as women, that you kind of feel like you just want to fit in. And when you're in a men's in an industry dominated by men, which most are, um, tech definitely is, you just kind of want to fit in. You don't want to stand out. Mm-hmm. So running around saying you're awesome is just going to make you kind of stand out. So it wasn't <laughs> until you bit older and more confident in in ourselves and the way we lead and stuff. And you realize, well, maybe I do know what I'm doing. Maybe I can do this as well as, you know, the 17 men that have all been leading me all these years and kind of things. And, um, but that, that's a funny point. Cause that, that would have been luck. That's funny. I actually, I guess maybe. It's I, really I, awesome. I, I do. I mean, this I is the awesome say, podcast. <laughs> I want to believe I'm awesome. And, you know, I, I think, um, I guess, Andrea, I didn't really know that you would attribute all your successes to that because I know you're awesome. And uh, I don't I can't really say why I think the way I do. I feel like what's what's allowed me to be on a path that I am is the resilience. Uh, I think as curveballs have been thrown, it motivated me to want to try harder, uh, to work harder. I think we all know as women, we work harder and we try a lot more than our male counterparts to get to where we get and, and to where we've gotten. Uh, but I will say that I can sit confidently here and say that I have one thing that I've tried very hard to do is to remain authentic to who I am. Mm. Uh, that may have actually prevented me from growing faster and, you know, reach different parts uh, uh, of the organization. But I love being me. And uh, and I think for those of you who have dealt with me as long as you have, I always say what's on my mind. Uh, early on in my career, I was uh, told not to be as blunt and direct, but now it's become my thing. I started. Your feature. I mean, that's a feature, not a bug with you. <laughs> that's me. I, and it hasn't failed me. And um, so, I mean, to say that uh, if you're true to yourself, if you're, if you're, if you try to be authentic self, I feel ultimately people around you will see the value 
and who you are, what you can do. And so I would say that's why I'm where I am right now. Yeah, I, I do think that absolutely is the key. I mean, understanding what it is that's uniquely you and what your strengths are. One time, um, you know, I heard this advice in a sort of a, an executive coaching session where it was like, you could spend a lot of time and energy doing those things that you do, you know, that you don't do well and trying to get better, but you're probably always just going to be middle of the road. So why not find the things that, you know, you're really good at and and just excel there. And so I think understanding both, you know, wh- what value you bring and truly understanding, you know, what makes you you and how you can contribute and being okay with that. I feel like for me it was a process I undervalued a lot of things about myself that wound up in hindsight, being very helpful. I mean, just a simple thing like being nice and being nurturing, you know, being a people person, right? I always put that aside because I was surrounded by really smart, techie people and I always felt less than. And yet but you that's your strength. Both. Right. right. It's it's my superpower. Yeah, it is <laughs> your superpower. So now I embrace that. But when I look at each of you, like, and I love that Miriam is so very clearly able to identify those qualities about her that make her her and has celebrated them so naturally. And I've seen it over the years. Mm-hmm. How about you, Lori? I, I would be interested in how you would answer the question. I don't know. I'm stubborn. Um, I, I think <laughs> I was lucky that early in my career, I um, did at a pretty young age, end up running a, 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 a P&L within a, a large organization. And so I got the chops of what it felt like. I, I knew what it meant to run that P&L. And I, I think that that helped. Um, I also, I, I love this business. And, and I think that that does come through, but I, I am, I don't fit any mold at all. And I think, you know, to, to Miriam's point, I think early on I tried really hard to fit a mold and that actually made it a lot harder. And when I figured out I should just be who I was, I also would say that there are people that have invested in me and I've been lucky in that way. And I think that makes a big difference too. Um, and, and not invested in just, you know, uh, you know, being always being positive, sometimes giving you real criticism. Um, I think that's something that, uh, uh, is hard often for women. In fact, you know, in fact, I remember a couple of years ago, Miriam and I were having this conversation about a situation she was dealing with. And, um, I, I think women have a tendency to, to internalize everything and assume that whatever's happening on the other side of the table is about them. Um, <laughs> and it, often it's not often, you know, something happened that morning with the other person and they're mad about something else and they're bringing it to you, but then you internalize, Oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? You know? And so then you get all defensive. And so I think having people, um, in your career that can give you real positive, real feedback, both positive and negative, um, can, can make a big difference. Uh, so those two things, I think, um, a little bit of probably luck, actually probably three things, a little bit of luck, a lot of stubborn and some folks that were willing to invest, um, in, in helping me figure out what I was good at and what I'm not at. And I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm definitely not good at yet at podcast editing, but I'm working oh. on it. <laughs> I think I think you're awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, considering I learned off of YouTube, we'll, we'll go with that. But, uh, so I guess last question I have for you guys: um, what what advice do you have to young women leaders? So I have a very specific one, and again, it goes back to something that I first became aware of in that whole lean-in era, and that was the advice to stay at the table as long as you're at the table. And the reason I point that out is that I've had numerous occasions to help share that advice with um, 
with young women. One, I had a, a, a woman manager who um, revealed to me that, you know, she had just found out she was pregnant, which was fantastic. But she was concerned there was this promotion that she really wanted to go after, but she felt guilty about applying for it because she knew and she wasn't ready to spread the news and she didn't she hadn't figured out all the logistics and the timeline. And, you know, I looked back at that advice and I shared that with her and she did. She went for it and the timeline worked out. It was just fine. But if she had removed herself from consideration, then she would have been out. So I think it's challenging for women um, and for men who are juggling uh, family and career, but but that's an important one for me. Is it just stay at the table, or are they asking enough to be at the table to begin with? You know, and that's an interesting point. You see that with like when somebody sees a job posting or something like that, and there's ten criteria that somebody wants, and you know somebody has three or four of them. I think it's a natural thing to well, I don't have all ten, then I really shouldn't go for this that kind that job. And the honest thing is, the only person that has all ten is the person who currently has the job. Right, the next person coming in is never going to have all those. And I think there is like a difference where, and going back to men, I'm awesome. They'll think, oh well, that's okay, I can do all these things, and they kind of just go after it. But you have to kind of believe in yourself and be go, okay, well. I have these three strengths and maybe I don't have these other ones. Um, it, nobody, you know, believe in yourself and kind of go after those things. And I think women do tend to um, not really put themselves out there to your point, um, not really ask for things, uh, just kind of quietly go with it. And it's, I think it goes down to just believing in yourself and believing you're awesome. We're going to keep using that term. It really <laughs> does kind of awesome. sum everything it up. <laughs> um, but the other piece of it too is going back to, and this isn't maybe, I, well, it is kind of an, a personal thing is I do believe that when you see people like you, you tend to go after that. So I think both women and men in the business play have to be proactive and, you know, you should definitely promote the folks that are right for the role and, and do all these things, but you have to put a lens on it that there, there is some equality and diversity across there. And I think as people start to see, you know, I've seen it in my own company currently, they're seeing more and more women kind of take these, these roles and more and more women are going after it um, mm -hmm. because they do, they see people that like, you know, that look like them. And so I think as women and men, you just, you need to be conscious of that. You need to be driving that um, and pushing for that diversity. Miriam, what do you think? What advice? I, I mean, everything that you guys have said uh, is, is right on. Um, the only other advice that I would give uh, people starting out, especially females, is that it's going to get uncomfortable. Uh, be prepared for that. Get comfortable being uncomfortable because that's the that's the way the journey goes uh but uh don't as soon as you get uncomfortable don't use that as an excuse to exit uh don't use that as an excuse to say i'm not good enough uh really understand that that's where growth comes you only get better because you'll be able to overcome you will you will that uncomfortable that lack of comfort will go away as you get better at it. So by uh, really the gist of it is that don't give up when it gets tough because it's going to be a journey that will have those uh, ups and downs. But uh, with every accomplishment that you have, you look back and you see yourself uh, get better and stronger. I think that's good advice regardless whether mm -hmm. a, a guy or a girl. Uh, I My advice is... Um, pretty specific in that I don't think enough women learn or use comfortably the language of business. 
Um, there's a vocabulary that comes with uh, running a business that uh, that I just, you know, it's really natural. I think when guys hang out, they talk about, um, you know, they, they talk about their businesses. And when women to hang out, they tend to talk about, you know, kids and other things, which is totally fine, by the way. Um, but I do think women just aren't as comfortable talking about business. And I think that that's something that, that we all could do a better job at um, helping young women figure out. Great advice. That's interesting. Never thought much about that, but <laughs> you're absolutely right. How do you guys balance? I mean, it, this is <laughs> probably a lot harder for you guys uh, than, than it is for me, but uh, how do you guys balance your personal and professional professional lives, uh, balance kids with a job and that sort of thing? Any, um, just any, <laughs> any hints for people out there listening? Yeah, well, sometimes not so well. <laughs> I think, you know, it's sort of a, um, a continuum. Um, but I do have a funny story about that. Um, back in the early Aperio days, actually, um, I was with, I was spending time with Jonah and it was during the middle of the day. We had just come back from a a work event and, uh, I picked up my phone and looked at an email and had a reaction to it. It was something that stressed me out at the time and I had a reaction. And so Jonah said, Hey, what's going on? And I said, Oh, it's, it's nothing. I tried to, you know, put that away and sort of turn back to him. And he said, he said, mom, I'm part of this family too. What's going on? And I said, Oh honey, it's not a family thing. It's a work thing. And he said, mom, he goes, I've had Nerf wars with Chris and Narendra. I'm part of this company too. (laughs) Tell me what's going on. That's really awesome. Miriam, what do you think? Yeah. Um, so I, I think it took it. Um, I have a different kind of a way that I think about work and life balance. Uh, I think I, I learned early on in my career that it, there's no such thing as balance. It's really more about integration. How well do I integrate the two that I feel that uh, ultimately I'm doing both sides of my life the justice and they get what's needed uh, to be as good as they can be. And uh, I also learned earlier on that I cannot be perfect at both. Um, It was really come to a realization that good enough on each sides of those spectrums had to be good enough. So, uh, but I will say that I've been lucky enough that I've got a great support system at home, whether it was uh, my mom who really helped me early on in my career as I um, had my girls and I did not really have to give up my career in order to um, get them to a stage that I felt um, I was able to deal with the whole nanny situation or I didn't feel like I had to give up um, on being part of Uh, raising them in order to have a career. I think that family structure really supported me. Ken has been super supportive Uh, in my, in our household. We tend to not have a distinction between uh, what I do, what he does. We just jump in and do what's necessary to keep things going. Um, So I say, I I would say that um, I've been lucky in that regards, as well as manage my own expectation that, you know, as much as people think that, uh, Parents, working parents, have it all figured out. They're highly structured. I can tell you that sometimes it's just pure chaos. <laughs> I, you got to be comfortable Exactly. I mean, and exa- you get through the chaos. And you know what? I've missed deadlines. And yeah, as much as uh, I like to be on top of things and have everything in my calendar, sometimes I've missed my kid's doctor's appointment. At the same time, I've also taken 
business calls while I have been at the doctor's office. So get comfortable with all of that. <laughs> and ultimately, I've survived it. So uh, that integration has been successful at this from where I'm sitting. Hasn't been easy, but it's worked out as well as it could. <laughs> Be a master multitasker. Yep, that for sure. Yeah. Andrea, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I think probably maybe similar to what Miriam said. I, d I don't necessarily look at it as balance. It's just my life. I mean, I've had a career for 20 some years. I've been a parent for 17 plus years and they're just kind of blended. Although I will say having family support makes all the difference. I think my husband, as you guys know, is in the Navy, he's retired Navy. So the first 10-ish years um, of our marriage, he was in the Navy and often deployed for long periods of time. Um, I had a different kind of a career then. I didn't travel, I, you know, especially after we had our son, our first son. Um, it wasn't, I wouldn't have been able to at that point take in a job like I've had for the last, say, 12 years um, just due to, yeah, there really wasn't any support there. So I guess in that sense, I've had to kind of follow a career path that kind of allotted for that. And then we swapped. He's now been a teacher for about 10 years. And obviously I've been, you know, doing consulting, traveling heavily and all of those kinds of things. And that's really what's enabled it, you know, with kids that he's taken the bulk of um, the kid related things so that I could, uh, you know, work the longer hours and travel and do those kinds of things. So I think it just comes down to, as Miriam said, there isn't necessarily a role one or the other. It's just having a support system of some sort. And then it is, to me, it's just my life. I mean, I, I work, I have a family, I do these things. I haven't really, you don't consider it that, uh, you know, God, I should do something differently here or there. It's just, that's life. Yeah, I think a good um, one. I mean, there's a theme. We all sort of have a little bit different, um, uh, I guess, experiences in this. And we've got you know, uh, two, two of you, um, married with kids, uh, Lori, a big part of, uh, your life, you've actually been a single mom and trying to, to juggle this. And, mm -hmm. and I think that adds a extra level of complexity. I, I don't have kids. Um, but I do certainly have family responsibilities and, um, have two nieces that I kind of treat as, as kids a lot of the time. Um, but I think it, the theme really is, it, it's about being able to multitask. Um, mm -hmm. but also I, I know I try to, probably compartmentalize uh, my personal and my professional life too much uh, for a long time. And going to Miriam's point early on, uh, it makes it hard to be authentic when you do that, regardless of whether, you know, you're trying to juggle personal professional or kids and family and everything else. Um, I just think the more authentic you are, the easier it makes um, kind of managing expectations on all sides. Um, so, so I think it's interesting that kind of all that comes full circle. Um, but it's never easy. I know that. <laughs> no, for sure. definitely it's not. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting too. I mean, I think as you ask this question and I think as we reflect back to how we started this conversation, women in leadership, women in tech, uh, how often do you think this question gets asked of our male counterparts and how do you think they answer that? I mean, just a point of reflection. What do you guys think? Yeah. yeah I mean, I mean, that's a good question as, as far as like how, how that, is directed at men. But what I am encouraged by, I love so many more men clearly prioritizing family, like mm -hmm. in a very vocal way. And paternity leave is so much more common than when I started. And so I, you know, and I'll be on calls with guys who have primary responsibility for their crying baby in the background, you know, and that to me um, is very encouraging. Yeah, I would agree. I've, that's been a noticeable change, I think, 
you've seen, I think we've seen over the last 10, 15 years of just, you know, men leaving the office early for varying kids things or mm-hmm. same, yeah, having, <laughs> being home, working from home today because the kids are sick and, right. you know, varying things. So I think perhaps it's, it's also the industry we're in though. We we're in an industry where we have a bit more flexibility and we can work from home and these mm-hmm. kinds of things. But I, I've certainly seen, and a lot more uh, families driven, you know, in our industry, I've seen a lot of families driven by, you know, the women being the primary breadwinner uh, and the men being the primary caregiver. So, mm-hmm. so now for something fun. Uh, <laughs> and Andrea, I left you out last time. So we're going to start with you on the lightning round of recommendations. So what, like, give me, what is your favorite binge series that you've, you've binged on lately? So this is what's funny is you're using me first is like, I watch pretty much no television <laughs> and not for any like moral reason or anything like that. We just, we only have one TV in our house again, not for any real reason other than that's, there's so many other devices of all kinds. Um, so often I'm sitting in this, in the family room with my family, somebody else is watching something and I'm reading my iPad or something like that. However, what the most recent thing that my oldest son, Ryan, obviously he's leaving off, going off for college in a week, as we've talked about. And uh, so he's filling in his time with, he's working, but he's filling in his time with this. He's been watching The West Wing. And oh, I, I had forgotten what a fantastic <laughs> show that is. And every time I walk in, I'm like telling him, this is the best show on television. I love this show. And I'm raving about it. So I end up sitting down and watching this episode. Oh, I remember this one. And President Bartlett's going to do this and all of this. And so I would say that I am not personally binge watching it, but I'm kind of, you know, work from home again during the day. It's summer. I go out and you know, there's an episode on. I'm like, oh, God, my next call's not for 30 minutes. I can watch this. Um, and I'm telling you, that was like the best show on television. It has been fantastic to rewatch it. And, and he's loving it as well. So yeah, there you the go. The dialogue is fantastic. It is show. the writing on that show, the dialogue. Obviously, it's, you know, politically uh, swings pretty heavily a certain way, which is interesting currently. Um, and that's, I think, one of the reasons he's so interested. But uh, yeah, it is Highly recommend if you haven't seen it in a while or if you never watched it. Definitely. It is a great, great show. Lori, what binge series? I'm sure you've got a few. (laughs) Just one, actually. So I'm I'm also going retro on this one. Um, And this is actually one that I never watched, really. I, I may have seen one or two episodes. But talk about being really late to the party. Um, I'm starting with season one, which was, I think, 2005, 2007, of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And, uh, I don't know. I've even heard of that. What, I've what heard of it. About? I never watched it. Oh, yeah. we, you know, there was a group of folks at Aperio who were really into it um, as well. So I, I think that's the time that I watched one or two episodes. But it started out on um, FX back in 2005. And it's just basically about this group of misfits. They call themselves the gang. And they're just like these self-absorbed friends who run this rundown Irish bar in South Philadelphia. And they just always make really kind of selfish and unethical (laughs) choices. But it's just, I mean, it's, it's really clever. It's, 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 uh, it's just funny. (laughs) That sounds great. All right, Miriam, you got any binging? Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to kind of process what uh, Andrea said, that she doesn't watch TV. You don't <laughs> need to be binge watching on TV. That's why you've got your phones. Um, <laughs> that's very millennial of you. 
Exactly. That's where Netflix binging happens. <laughs> uh, so one of the most recent one that I binge watched and uh, it, it was kind of on, I did not think I would like this series, but somehow I don't know what prompted me to want to watch it. It was the Gra- Grace and Frankie. Oh, mm, I love Grace and Frankie. <laughs> oh, I loved it. And I don't exactly know it. It took me a little bit time to really get into it, but the cast is great. I felt the, the the themes that they were tackling, they were real, they were raw at times. It was about relationships, kids, siblings, getting old, women empowerment, all of that. I watched all six seasons, I want to say, <laughs> in like a couple weeks. <laughs> so, and I heard, actually, maybe five seasons. I don't know. Uh, I forget. But I did hear they signed a new season. So in yes. 2020, there's going to be a new season right. coming out, and I can't believe it. And if you haven't watched it, it is amazing to see how great Jane Fonda looks at 80, <laughs> 83. She does She's, admit now to having had a little bit of work done, oh, yeah. but, but oh, still. Boy. Uh, I mean, the two of them together are just a force to be reckoned yeah. with. Although I, I am going to take credit for Miriam getting into this, even if she doesn't realize it, because Grace and Frankie was one of my recommendations early podcasts. So Gloria, <laughs> it was. Yeah. So no. We see this is why I should be going back and listening. And perhaps you said it, and that was exactly the reason. But it was two Gloria. years ago. Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks for that recommendation. Sure, I had a <laughs> <laughs> And I want to have a friend like Lily. I want to have a friend just like Frankie. <laughs> I love how alone oh she yeah, Actually, that should be that should be our next podcast. We'll talk about are you Gracie or are you more friendly? <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. So I guess wrapping up, let me give you my recommendation. Um, I, my, it is Succession, which is on Showtime. I believe it's Showtime Ooh. or HBO, but I think it's Showtime. I saw um, that last night. Just a promo for us. So tell us. Yeah, about it. the first season was out uh, about a year ago. It is very, very loosely based on the Murdoch family, um, but it's so well. Uh, it's beautifully filmed. It's a really great story of family and business, and I, I, it is loosely based on the Murdochs. But I, you know, I think there's a fair amount of uh, fiction tied into it as well. <laughs> um, and I think today, in fact, the next season drops from. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's Showtime. That's my recommendation on binging. But definitely, all the others sound sound great as well. Um, and it makes me want to go back and watch the last season of, of uh, Grace and Frankie again. Because I need to decide, am I Grace or am I Frankie? I actually think I know the answer to that. Uh, <laughs> I think we all know. Yeah, we know that. Yeah, exactly. But you can, if you want to revisit that decision, you can certainly do that. I don't know, maybe I need a little bit more more Frankie in my life. So maybe, maybe we need to figure out. Yeah, I think I think we all do need to have some. You guys are going to have to life. label me for me because I have. Oh, uh, we will. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, we know. I think there's only one Frankie here potentially. I, so. <laughs> I don't even know what you guys are saying. <laughs> about me all the more uh, reason for you to go I watch you lost control. go binge watch <laughs> and on that note it's probably time for us to close out this episode our next episode will be an interview with chris barbin chris is probably best known as one of the founders and the ceo of aperio which is how we got to know him so we're really looking forward to having a chance to ask him about some of those experiences Since leaving Aperio, he's gone on to do a lot of different things, everything from serving as a venture partner to advising companies on leadership and culture to having a restaurant and a tequila company. So it should be a very fun interview. And maybe we should have him make him watch the show and tell us which which character we are 
Um, I'm, I'm sure he'll have an opinion on that. But anyway, I, I do you guys think he's ready for all four of us? I, I, it may be a little bit much. <laughs> I think he can handle us. Yeah, I think so too. All that he handled at the Perio, he can handle the four of us. I think sure. we scare him a little bit. <laughs> If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe on iTunes or on Podbean and to check out our website at www.realtechreallife.com.